please turn with me online or on paper to 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 17 through 23. Today is the third Sunday after Epiphany. And we've been saying all along, uh, Epiphany is the Greek word for revealing. And this is the moment on the church calendar when we focus on the life and teaching of Christ. Specifically, we focus on his person and work and how that reveals him as the true prophet, priest, and king of his people. And in the past couple of weeks, I've been saying that this season really follows the storyline of the Gospels. The Gospels each have unique introductions, uh, followed by a revealing of who Jesus is. We were in the season of Advent, which is sort of an introduction to the person of Christ. And now in the season of Epiphany, we're looking at the revelation of Christ. And each of the Gospels goes about revealing the humanity and deity of Jesus in different ways. They all end up with the entry into Jerusalem and the road to the cross, but the stylistic revealing of Jesus is unique. And so we have a unique series of passages that we're looking at. We began this series with the servant song in Isaiah, where we saw Christ revealed as the servant of God's people. Jesus himself said in the Gospel of Mark, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And the question is, how does that phrase play out in a Christian's life? Once you see Jesus revealed as the servant, what are the implications? We explored one set of implications last week in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. We'll explore some more of those implications this week in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. So here now, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 17 through 23 which is God's word, eternally true. Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. Was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? Let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him not seek circumcision. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. Each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. Were you a bondservant when called? Do not be concerned about it. But if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. For he who was called in the Lord as a bondservant is a freedman of the Lord." Likewise, he who was free when called is a bondservant of Christ. You were bought with a price. Do not become bondservants of men. So, brothers, in whatever condition each was called, there let him remain with God. Please pray with me. And now, O Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, you who are our rock and our redeemer. Open our eyes to see wonderful things in your law and grow us thirty, sixty, and a hundredfold. Amen. My heart skipped a beat as I reached inside my pocket. I didn't feel my military ID card, and we were about to pull into the parking lot. Of course, then I shook my head, and it was almost like coming out of a trance because we weren't pulling onto the base. My wife and I were driving up to Covenant Seminary for the first time. 
We had only just left the Air Force where for eight years, every time we pulled up to buy groceries or to buy gas uh, or, uh, or to go to work, we had to pull out ID cards with our picture and a, and a computer chip on them that gave us access to the things that we needed. We didn't need those ID cards at the seminary. And I have to tell you, the first, the first several times we drove up to the parking lot, it just felt a little strange. Have you ever experienced a confusion of identities? Have you ever pulled out your library card at the grocery store instead of your credit card? You can't buy groceries with a library card, and of course you can't check out a book with a credit card. Have you ever used someone else's ID? Have you ever picked up a package in someone's name at the post office? Have you ever used a a business credit account at maybe an office supply store? Or have you ever gotten a discount using a special, you know, AARP card? We have a lot of different identities that open different doors for us. But no one identity seems to open all the doors. And we clutch our identities tightly because they're life to us. But Paul, in this passage, is going to remind us that there is an identity that can mark you at the deepest level. It is your identity in Christ. You don't apply for it. You don't work for it. You receive it by faith. The people in the Corinthian church were, like me, driving up to the seminary. They were reaching into their pockets for an ID that didn't matter in God's economy. And in this passage, we'll see uh, that we do the same thing. We don't do it with plastic cards that have computer chips. We, we traffic in other identity markers, and we put undue pressure on ourselves with them. And Christians must let go of identity performance because their identity is revealed in Christ. And we'll talk here about how that identity is revealed when we look at categories of identity, the examples of identity, and the ultimate price of our identity. So categories, examples, and the price. Let's begin with categories of identity. When we pick up in verse 17, it feels like we're connected to a previous conversation. The first word in the ESV is only, and a few other translations, that first word is translated nevertheless. There's some kind of contrast being made with what came before, and so we better know what that was. It was two rhetorical questions laid before a woman or a man who are Christians, but each married to a person who's not a Christian. Paul has said that this, in and of itself, is not a reason to divorce in verse 16. He says, For how do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? After the how do you know questions, Paul says, if not, meaning if you don't know, then he uses a little poetic parallelism. He says, if, you know, if not, then to each as the Lord apportioned, to each as God has called. Thus let him walk, thusly in all the churches I rule. I mean, we might say it more simply by putting it into a modern proverb. Play the hand you're dealt. And why play that hand? Why not fold the hand and walk away from the table? Because you don't know whether or not it's the winning hand in this round. But God dealt the cards, and God gave you to play the game. Don't fold. Go for it. And then in verse 18, Paul moves from the example of marriage to the example of ethnicity. Because he talks about 
circumcision. And before we talk about what Paul says specifically, let me just ask you a clarifying question. What kind of marker is circumcision? Is it racial? Is it religious? Is it ethnic? Is it cultural? What's what's Paul talking about? Now, think of this, and please don't think me crass for bringing it up, but I'm sure that uh, several men here today are circumcised. Those of you who may be, is your circumcision uh, racial, ethnic, religious, a cultural marker? I suspect not. I suspect that anyone who might be circumcised here today is so because, uh, because of the medical advice uh, that was presently active at the time of your birth, uh, medical advice that seems to change every five to ten years. Paul keeps going with his parallelism, parallelism in this example. Was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? Let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him not seek circumcision. He's speaking to Jews and Gentiles in the same church. Like I said, for most here today, circumcision is merely a medical marker. But for Paul's audience, it was all those things I said before all rolled together. Circumcision is a physical religious ritual that signifies one's membership in a particular religion, race, ethnicity, or culture. And those categories of religion, race, ethnicity, and culture are not so neat and clean. We use them to mean different things for different people at different places and times. But that doesn't mean the terms we use designating religion, race, ethnicity, and culture are automatically bad or automatically unbiblical. In many cases, those categories are important and useful. And I'll talk about that in a second, but let's just clarify where Paul is going. The identity one has as a Christian is the foundational identity over all others. And it is a cross-cutting identity because Christianity cuts across every race, ethnicity, and culture. The gospel of salvation and the sacraments are the same, but worship practices vary because of the different races, ethnicities, and cultures that Christianity inhabits. In verse 19, Paul sums up this idea that Christianity is a foundational identity and a cross-cutting identity when he says, circumcision is not anything, also uncircumcision is not anything. But observing the commandments of God... Now that's something. And what is the commandment of God? Believe in the one he has sent, Jesus the Savior. And what does he save you for? Eternal life. You can check out John 17, verses 2 and 3 for a verification of that, but Paul has been getting at that all throughout his letter to the Corinthians. A man I know wrote on social media this week that we should quit using the categories of race, ethnicity, and culture that the world gives us, and instead we should only use the terms that the Bible gives us. And some people pushed back on him, and he wrote many responses, but basically all his responses boiled down to this. There is no race but the human race, so let's just use what the Bible says. Okay, fair enough. Yet the Bible uses the categories of Pharisees and Sadducees to delineate different Jews. And those are terms that arose in the intertestamental period, and they were invented by men. The Bible, at the end of it, in Revelation, says that there will be people from every tribe, language, people, and nation around the throne of Jesus. 
But those are not technical terms with very clear, uh, clear-cut divisions. What I'm saying is that the Bible seems comfortable with the various ways that we talk about ourselves and the various ways that we divide and come together and label it in history. And further, it is true that, uh, at least in part, that there is no race but the human race, but the danger in that phrase is that many use it to make certain people invisible. I'll just give you a harmless example. Take a person who is verbose and loud, and a person who is quiet and soft-spoken. We label these people extroverts and introverts. But maybe the extroverted, you can imagine an extroverted person saying, hey, there, is no, there are no labels, there is no race but the human race, let's get rid of these labels. Uh, just speak up if you have something to say. In this case, the extrovert is, is dismissing the introvert when they dismiss the label. Have you ever dismissed a person by dismissing a particular category that they find themselves in? I just want to say that that's not what Paul is doing here in verse 19. Paul does not dismiss the categories of circumcision and uncircumcision. He shows that Christianity is a cross-cutting identity in this example. And he he actually gives us two examples, so let's look at those. Let's set up Paul's examples of circumcision and slavery. Paul begins in verse 20 nearly the same way that he began in verse 17. Each in the calling which he was called... In this, let him remain. Now, the two important imperative verbs in uh, verses 17 and 20 are let him walk and let him remain. If before I said play the hand you're dealt, meaning let him walk, now we're also saying stay in the game you're playing. Let him remain. So what's the obvious question? What exactly do you mean by the hand I'm dealt and the game I'm playing? That is a great and important question. Now before, Paul talked about believers married to unbelievers. Don't divorce, dear Christian. Play the hand you're dealt because you don't know whether you might be a part of saving your spouse. Then in verses 18 and 19, Paul talked about circumcision, referring to those markers of race, ethnicity, culture, religion. And third, here in verses 21 and 22, Paul mentions the condition of slavery. Paul says, play the hand you're dealt and stay in the game you're playing because you have received an identity in Christ that cuts across all your other foundational markers and all your present circumstances. So you don't have to change spouses to keep this identity. You don't have to alter the marks of your ethnic or cultural heritage of circumcision or uncircumcision. And you don't have to worry if you're a doulos in the Roman economy or or if you're an apolutheros in that same economy, slave or free man. Those are technical terms used in first century Rome. So let's look at how play the hand you're dealt and stay in the game you're playing worked out in the realms of circumcision and slavery, and then we can see how it works out for Christians today. Now look, circumcision's a little weird to talk about, can we agree? (laughs) Uh, And even weirder to us is Paul saying, let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. I researched that this week, and I will spare you the details. But circumcision was offensive to the Greeks. 
but it was standard practice for the Jews. And in that time, athletic events happened in the nude. It was standard. Uh, And when upwardly mobile men were not at home or at work, they were in uh, the bathhouse. That was sort of like the social hangout. And there they were also nude. It wasn't weird for them. But it was more readily obvious in their social circles who was and who was not circumcised, whether you were Jew or Greek, and whether it was offensive to you or not. And if you wanted to be part of the Greco-Roman in-crowd, if you wanted to have the opportunity to make the most of your economic opportunities, you needed to network in that sphere. And so many Jewish men would go through a procedure to undo their circumcision. For some Jews, becoming a Christian might be a freedom to them, but maybe in the wrong way. Go ahead. Go ahead and remove those marks. Get rid of your heritage and feel free then to climb the social ladder. But Paul is saying, hey, in Christ, there's something greater than the social ladder. But some Jews in the church wanted to leave behind their cultural identity to better their worldly position. On the other hand, converts to Judaism worked to gain a different cultural identity in order to fit in. Uh, Like a woman I know from the Midwest who married into an Italian Catholic family, all she wanted to do was learn how to cook like her mother-in-law so she would be accepted. And even when her husband said, hey, you don't have to cook Italian food, I love you, the woman just felt like a failure. Because she was working to have a new identity. She wanted a different culture. And some Gentiles wanted to work for another ethnic identity. For example, Cornelius in Acts 10 is labeled a God-fearer. And D.A. Carson in the New Bible Commentary says the term God-fearer appears to have been frequently used for a class of people who believed and to some extent followed the Jewish religion without being full converts to Judaism. A guy like Cornelius would need to be circumcised in order to fully become a Jew. And the question that was live in the early church was, do I need to become a Jew before I become a Christian? (laughs) Now, Christians here in this church might laugh at that idea. How silly. But sometimes our churches leave people with questions. We don't say it out loud, but we can give off a vibe that leaves people asking, do I need to become blank in order to become a really good Christian? And you can fill in the blank with a lot of different things. Do I need to become Dutch? Maybe if you live in Michigan or Iowa. Do I need to become Korean in other churches? Some brothers and sisters who are African American come to a predominantly white church like ours and they would say, do I need to become white to be a Christian? Or do I need to become... I don't know, what what would it be for you? I've heard them all. Those identities that we strive for, Paul says in verse 19, he says they aren't anything. So what kind of pressure are you putting on yourself to perform the right identity? Oh, wouldn't I be a better Christian if I was rich? Because then I could give more money away. Wouldn't I be a better Christian if I was poor? because then I would not be so tied to the things of the world. Wouldn't I be a better Christian if I was into uh, Hebrew words and customs, because then I'd be closer to a, a, a right understanding of the Old Testament? 
Wouldn't I be a better Christian maybe if I were a Roman Catholic because that's the oldest denomination? Oh, no, wait, maybe it's Greek Orthodox. They're older. Or maybe, uh, maybe uh, the Anglican tradition follows the, the, the tradition of Scripture more. I've heard people wrestle with all these questions. Where do you put pressure on yourself? And what pressure does our church put on other people? Christianity is the truth that God accepts you in Christ. He accepts you based on what Christ has done, not on what you have done. And because a Christian identity is based on someone outside of you, that means people of any economic status, rich or poor, or people of any ethnicity, Jew or Gentile, can receive Jesus as Lord. Christians have a foundational and cross-cutting identity in Christ. Now we've spoken about the example of circumcision in verses 18 and 19. Let's speak about the example of slavery in verses 21 and 22. I have to give the caveat. With slavery that Paul is talking about in his place and time, like the slavery that was practiced in our country from 1619 to 1865? No. Uh, Was this passage that we're looking at today used by slaveholders in America to manipulate slaves into obedience? Yes. Was that a proper use of this passage? Absolutely not. Does that feel like a touchy subject because there has been an increase in our national conversation surrounding race, specifically among black and white people? Oh, you better believe it. But I say all that to remind you, how we use the Bible is important. So what is Paul talking about in his place and time, and what does it mean for them, and how do we properly bring that over to our place and time and apply it? Here, African-American pastor scholar Esau Macaulay talking about this passage. He says, it's easy to misunderstand Does Paul mean that being enslaved was not important? That's not what Paul is saying. Imagine an enslaved person asking the question, wouldn't I have better standing with God if only I was free? This is the exact problem that the enslaved people in Massachusetts pose to the legislature. Slavery limits their Christian practice. Paul's point isn't that this question is insignificant. His point is that the enslaved people are not morally culpable for the sins visited upon them by their masters. They are not guilty, nor does God love them less if slavery makes it impossible to follow the commands of Christ fully. This is a pastoral response. What are the implications for our understanding? He tells Gentiles they are not to be circumcised to please God. He tells slaves to get free if they can. Why? Because he recognizes that slavery places limits upon the believer. Macaulay goes on, We have to ask how this letter would land in a mixed congregation. We have enslavers listening to Paul tell slaves to gain their freedom if they could. Paul's words could have been used to convict the consciences of slave masters so that, like Philemon, they might act out of love. We must also ask how those in power in a democratic republic should have received this message from Paul. Christians should have become the means by which the enslaved person received their long-sought freedom. You see, slavery here in this passage is an identity that puts you in earthly submission. 
Some slaves were uh, people conquered by Rome in war, a kind of human trafficking. Some people sold themselves into slavery to pay off debt, not completely different uh, today from people who, uh, say, join the military. Uh, But where we have pride for people who join the military, in that time, debt slavery, uh, people who were in debt slavery were humiliated. Some Roman slaves were even in sexual submission to their masters, uh, which is what we would call today sexual abuse. Unlike slavery on this continent, uh, in some instances, Roman slaves could work themselves out of slavery. They They did have a chance to get free. Now, from all this, you can see how slaves in that time might look down on themselves and how others would look down on slaves. Oh, you're in a bad situation? You must be a bad person. Now, how about you? Are you in a bad situation? Have you ever been in a bad situation and wondered, am I just a bad person? You're stuck. Stuck with bad choices, maybe bad job choices, maybe stuck with bad money choices. Or you may feel morally culpable for something that happened to you or something that was done to you by a parent, a teacher, or a boss. The sins committed against you by those in authority over you do not make you less of a Christian. Christ is calling you right now. A Christian identity cuts across all our circumstances. You're not a better Christian if you're free. You're not a lesser Christian if you're a slave. Paul lets us know in verse 21 that he's not so heavenly minded that he's no earthly good. He basically says, hey, I'm not crazy. Get your freedom if you can. And also get free from abusive situations. But then in verse 22, remember this. If you're an earthly slave and Christ calls you, then you're actually a heavenly freed man. You receive a new identity that cuts across your old one. And if you're an earthly freed man and Christ calls you, then you're actually a heavenly slave. Your master is Christ. Your identity is in him. And in verse 23, Paul says another practical thing. Do not become slaves of men. Basically, avoid this as much as possible. But the other half of verse 23 is what I think is the most powerful part of the passage. You were bought with a price, slave or free. You were bought with a price, circumcised or uncircumcised. You were bought with a price. And last week, Paul said this same thing in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. Y'all were bought with a price. We said Christians are living stones bought and paid for by Jesus and being built into something greater than the sum of the parts. And this week, Paul says it again and adds to the message, don't trade this received identity for an identity that you have to put pressure on yourself to perform for. Don't don't trade it in for some kind of ethnic or cultural identity. Don't trade it in for a life condition that you think will somehow bring you more honor. And Paul repeats it in verse 24, In whatever calling each was called, there let him remain, and he adds this, There let him remain with God. Do you know that God desires to be with you, no matter your circumstances? So what's your condition today? 
God in Christ is with the circumcised and the uncircumcised. God is with the Midwesterner and the Southerner. God is with the slave and free. God is with the person with no debt, and He's with the person who has maxed out their credit card. Christ, who has the eternal freedom of heaven, came to earth to be revealed as the servant of all. Will you let Him serve you? He served you by being a ransom for your debt of sin. In the freedom of His resurrection, you also can be free. And this is an identity that is not achieved. It is received by trusting Jesus. There's an old hymn that says, You can lay your deadly doing down, down at Jesus' feet. Rest in Him, in Him alone, gloriously complete. An identity in Christ is a foundational and cross-cutting identity. It is underneath all the earthly categories that may be true of you, and it cuts across all the differences of those categories. Don't remove the marks of your ethnic or cultural identity. Don't trade your ethnic or cultural categories. You are not deplorable, no matter what the world may say. So don't use whatever category you find yourself in as an excuse to act in a deplorable way. You were bought with a price. Do not neglect the purchase. Walk in Him. Remain in Him. Nothing can take His love away from you. No circumstances, no conditions that you have ever been in can take it away. Like those movies where the the spy has to steal an identity card uh, to get past all the guards. In Christ, you have a card with someone else's picture on it, and it opens every single door, and it takes you all the way to the top floor. But unlike the spy, you didn't steal the card. Instead, Christ himself has given it to you. And it's more than a card. It's Jesus himself, his person and work. Stand in him in Him alone, gloriously complete. Let's pray. Almighty God, who sees and knows all our circumstances and the condition of our hearts, reveal to us an identity in Christ your Son that we may lay down our performance and instead enjoy your love and invite others to do the same as we worship you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.